Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. How do college football legends adapt to the NFL? And what's the biggest hurdle from playing on Saturdays to starting on Sundays? We go behind the scenes with my next guest right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast. The players. We're going to hit somebody and we're taking down the field for a touchdown. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The plays. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. And so much more. College football legends. Heroes come and go, but legends live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Chris Smith. The Super Bowl is right around the corner, and if you're looking for a place to bet on any of the sports going on, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. Thinking of picking the Lakers to repeat or love that Dustin Johnson is favored to win the Masters? You need to go to betonline.ag. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Plus, there's always that online casino as well. The best part about it, it never closes. You can play 24-7. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Getting to the NFL is a dream for many college football legends. From the can't-miss stars overlooked on draft of free agents to the players that have big shoes to fill and others who are just big. So we kick the door down on an NFL locker room to get a glimpse of life of a rookie, how the legends handle themselves, and the fun that surrounds this professional family. All through the eyes of my special guest on the show, Serena Morales, L.A. Rams team reporter and host of the Ramblin' Podcast. Check out our great social media content on Twitter at Serena and on Instagram at Morales Morales, all one word. And I've had the pleasure of meeting her. And let me tell you, she's one of the nicest people, too. Thanks for joining me, Serena. I appreciate it. I am nice. I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I do not lie. That is absolutely I put true. that in the category. Great. <laughs> put it on the resume. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's start a little early. You played baseball at such a young age, and I know you love sports because it shows throughout your career. Uh, where does that passion for sports come from? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, growing up in the Bronx, um, my dad was a huge Yankee fan. Well, my whole family was a huge uh, Yankee fan growing up. And and I will always say this, like kids and, and parents, actually, this goes out to you. You really should think about who – um your kid is going to root for like whether it's a player or a team because it affects them like think of all the Mets fans that grew up around the same time I did like comparatively speaking to like Yankee fans like I thought of myself as a winner I always thought like hey if you're down in the ninth inning in life you can win the game you can get a slice of pizza if you ask politely like you can always think about the small wins and getting there um, and I, I, I grew up around, you know, the Mariano, Don Mattingly, Tino Martinez, like all those championships. And my dad was like obsessed with baseball. And so I think at like four or five years old, like I was also obsessed with television, not allowed to watch a lot of it as a kid. My mom's a teacher and she's like, go play with Legos. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> TV is so fascinating. I love TV. And so I started to outsmart my parents because I was just like Saturday morning cartoons would end. And then I'd be like, 
what do I, I just want to watch like Soul Train or whatever's on next. And my like parents would be like, you got to get off, go, you know, play. But my dad would sit down and watch the one o'clock weekend Yankee games. And so I was like, I'm going to just hang out here, pretend I'm watching whatever the hell he's watching. And then <laughs> this is going to work out well. And so all of a sudden he's like, oh, you want to watch this kid? And I was like, I will watch a wall being painted. You <laughs> know, like it doesn't matter. Legos. <laughs> right. So I'm like watching it and he's finally and i was like hey what's that white thing he's like oh that's a base and i was like oh well tell me more <laughs> who's number 23 oh it's don mattingly oh well okay tell me more and it became just this like slow progression of like well what's happening now oh well, that's a home run he gets to run around the bases so i just started to ask questions as like a very you know lazy four-year-old who wanted to sit on the couch and watch tv and it ended up becoming you know he signs me up to baseball at age seven, I played till I'm 17 years old. I played against Danny Almonte. Um, yeah, that's amazing. In, in, in the Bronx. Yeah, like just like I played with, with, you know, baseball players that ended up playing major league baseball, minor league baseball. So, yeah, it kind of just became my thing. And then, you know, I, I obviously gravitated towards other sports. Once you're in one, you know, you got to learn all the languages, right? So, oh, exactly. Um, well, and it could have been worse. It, you could have been a Mets and Jets uh, household. That's what I'm saying. I I give a lot of my success to like understanding. I mean, outside of the Knicks, you know, I I feel you know very much the the idea of like winning teaches you something. And now with this, you know, the whole social media internet thing, like you don't have to be stuck to your hometown team. Like you can pick another team to cheer for. It doesn't just have to be you know the Timberwolves, although they're doing very well. But you don't you don't have to pick any random team. Like you don't have to be a Knicks fan anymore, guys. You can you can go <laughs> elsewhere. You can adjust. You can flip yes. sides. <laughs> right. And we have on the show Serena Morales, L.A. Rams team reporter and host of the Ramblin' Podcast. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your road from the Bronx to Syracuse University. Man, that's a windy, windy road. Um, so it, it's crazy. And sometimes my parents, you know, bless them. Like my mom's like, what are you talking about? Like we grew up, I grew up in a one bedroom apartment in the Bronx. And, and we, you know, we moved around a bit, but like my earliest childhood memories was like a one bedroom apartment. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot and I was the happiest kid in the universe. And then, you know, but because, you know, my mom's a teacher, uh, my dad worked for the projects. We didn't, you know, there wasn't this like idea of like my goal in life was have a one bedroom apartment for yourself. Like, oh, oh my gosh, and that's if I huge in afford, New York. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's a mansion. Do well, yeah. Like you're making six figures and you still have roommates, right? Like there's exactly. none, of, none of this. But in and I just that's all I wanted, and so but because I became pretty known in the Bronx for playing baseball. I was the only girl in um, my baseball league, like towards my like later teenage years, people were like, Hey, you know, you should maybe think of like going into sports reporting. And uh, the only concept of sports reporting I had, but thankfully I had it was like Susan Waldman who called the Yankee games and like um, Linda Cohn and Hannah Storm that were on ESPN, you know, early in their career. And sure. I was sort of like, Oh, like maybe this is something I could do, but I didn't really think about it. Like, I wanted to play center field for the Yankees after Bernie Williams retired. Like I had no concept <laughs> of anything else. And so, um, but to that point, I, you know, I had really supportive family and friends were like, you should think about this. And so in 2003, Syracuse University won the national championship. They became like sort of like this 
apple of my eye. Like I was like, oh, destination. Well, what a fun, yeah, like I should go there. And I had no concept that Newhouse was even like a top school for journalism. Like I ended up trying out for the softball team at Syracuse only because I didn't want to play D2. And I was like, no, I really want to play D1 softball. And if I'm not going to play D1 softball, then I'm not going to play, period. I'll just go into education. And so I just went there on a limb, you know, kind of having like some murmurs like, yeah, you know, I think their journalism school is pretty good. But again, it yeah, wasn't Bob that my Costas, family. Mike Tirico. Right, exactly. <laughs> but again, my world was just like, you know, teachers in, in public schools and, you know, public city sure, housing. That's what you know. And, you know, right. So I just was like, yeah, okay, cool. Like Fordham University popped to me more because Michael Kay went there and he was in my realm oh, for yes, Yankees definitely. versus anything else, right? So get to Syracuse and then I'm like, oh, this is the mecca of broadcast journalism. And so I get there. Um, I graduated in 2008. And again, like if you're thinking about a kid growing up in the Bronx, who so again, I, I'm sort of prefacing this, like didn't really know anything. You graduate from a school like after fighting your family, like, yo, I, I now know I'm supposed to be here. And then you don't get a job out of Syracuse University Newhouse. Like your parents, your family's going to be like, yo, kid, what did you do? Like, well, it was right around the like, crash, right? I mean, It was right around the crash. Yes. So and to that point, didn't get a job. I moved to London for a year because I was like, get me out of New York because I'm waiting tables with this useless education. <laughs> like, what am I doing except chatting up, you know, here's my degree. And can I take your order? Yeah. Like I'm like, it just became, um, you know, I was so frustrated with myself. I go to London, I come back even more frustrated myself because then I come back and I'm still like, what am I doing? And I finally applied. Nike had a digital, like to be their team, like their field reporter. And it was basically a marketing scheme, but nonetheless, I was like, yeah, I want to apply to this because it's a job. And so my mentor, put together a, a reel for me to apply to this contest. And it was like, you know, submit why you should be the Nike field reporter. Give us your reasons why. And you know how this works, Chris. It's like, I'm going to see a bunch of videos of like, hello, my name is blah, blah, blah. Sure. And I'm from here. And this is why I've you done should this. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, I did this. Da, da, da. So I was like, nah, bro, you can't go in there and get spotted if you're going to say the same thing as everyone else. So I basically flipped it and reversed it. All of my waitressing, psychological, like, let me get tips type thing. Let me figure <laughs> this out. And so I'm like, this is why you shouldn't hire me. So I'm like, don't hire me because I'm nice at baseball and I played for 10 years. Don't hire me because, you know, Serena, my name is Serena. And if I get Serena Williams, two Serenas would be amazing. <laughs> don't do it. Don't hire me because of anything. But hire me because if you don't, I will be selling Reeboks at Foot Locker. And that was oh. my ending. And then I got the job, obviously, because no one else thought about that. And so <laughs> hey, you got, got hired. You got to stand out. You got to stand out. So that's kind of the birth of like, okay, there's hope in the world for Serena to get a journalism job. But again, it was in marketing. So after that, I, I applied to News Channel 12, the Bronx, and they're like, no, no, thank you. And I was like, what in the world? So I ended up bouncing around. I worked at an investment bank and then freelance covering like high school basketball for Verizon files wow. Went from there to, um, I ended up getting a job at true TV and I worked on impractical jokers, which is like oh, great a great phenomenal show. Yeah. So I did that and worked on their digital content there. And then from there, I ended up getting hired at national geographic. Bless the man who hired me. Hayes, uh, Tauber who used to work at ESPN and worked at true TV. For a little bit, we overlapped, but he basically became the head of marketing 
And I just asked him, like, yo, like, are you guys even looking for a job? I don't even know what job I would be able to do at National Geographic. Just anything that pays at this point. Yeah, like, I don't know what I'm doing, but my career is stagnant, and I don't know where I'm going. And I know a little bit about animals. And he goes, (laughs) actually, I think I could use you because you're creative and you are a reporter, so you know how to, like, you know, do your research. And so there was a coordinator job at National Geographic, and he goes, if you can do this job well, I can figure out a way to make this a full-time job. But right now I can promise you six months. And I was like, anything is better. Not that I hated Impractical Jokers, but I just wasn't growing at at True TV. So I was like, yeah, okay, cool, I'll apply. So I ended up uh, getting this job um, overseeing their social media. And they gave me the Nat Geo Wild account, which I ended up growing from, in a year, from 300,000 followers on Facebook to 6 million in a year. Exploded. yeah. And I just kind of like had fun with it. And I started like during that time, you know, I watch sports because that was still my number one passion. So I'd be watching, say, like the, the Chicago Bears were on, you know, football, like on Sunday football. And I'd be watching it and I'd have the Nat Geo Wild Twitter account open. And I'm like, hey, guys, the Chicago Bears aren't playing well right now, but we have real Bears playing on at Nat Geo Wild. <laughs> Stuff yeah, like that. Tying like, that sports in any way you can. Absolutely. And all of a sudden the followers grew and everything sort of was like, oh, wow. Cause like sports fans do love animals. Like there is a crossover there Sure. and it caught, it caught the eye of ESPN. The head of sports center was uh, Rob King at the time. And he reached out to me um, and he was like, yo, I'm seeing the stuff you're doing on Nat Geo. I've seen your reel. I've done a couple wow. of things at that time for Nat Geo wild on camera. And he was like, I feel like we could utilize you somehow. And I was like, now we're talking. Exactly. This is where I, I want to be. My sports career was over. Like, I was like, I'm taking a job. Yeah, you almost you almost gave up on your sports sports dreams, basically. I did. I like was like, I have to be OK with it because I just have to move. And I got promoted at Nat Geo Wild. Like, it was a great time there. But then, yeah, ESPN called and they hired me. And at first, I, they didn't kind of know what to do with me, which is the story of my life. And <laughs> I ended up making my way on to, to Sports Center. I was part of the Sports Center AM show um, with Jamie Sire yeah, and Kevin Gandhi. Part of the Harris. launch of Sports Center AM, correct? Yeah, yeah, it was insane. And so that happened and started working on features. And then after my stint with ESPN uh, wrapped up, I got hired um, to be the Rams. Uh, team reporters so it's been insane because it was sort of like you were meant to do this the whole time maybe you weren't supposed to play center field for the Yankees but you were supposed to be in this field and 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 so I've I've come back full circle (laughs) unbelievable and we have on the show Serena Morales LA Rams team reporter and host of the Ramblin podcast and like you said you worked at uh, Nike social media Nat Geo and a TV anchor at ESPN which was the most fun and which one you think taught you the most Honestly, they all sort of give you like certain lessons. That was a jack all trades there too. (laughs) Yeah, I was like all over the place. You know, at Nike, you're young. You're thinking like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to do things. I remember interviewing Serena Williams was my first interview at Nike, and I was like, that's a good get. Yeah, I was like, oh, this. I'm 24, just here with the (laughs) most famous tennis player in the world. Most famous, yeah. And I remember, you know, feeling empowered from that interview on like trust your gut and like trusting that you know your insight means something because you follow the game so like with her and you guys know like sports fans know Serena Williams used to wear like crazy bling and have like all sorts of cool jewelry and like get decked out to play tennis matches sure and so 
I was fascinated. I'm like, yo, doesn't that hit you in the eye? Like, how do you even like I, I legit asked her that question and she goes, Oh my god, no I have to try out my jewelry. No one's ever asked me that question. <laughs> and I had like the best interview with her. And she ended up being part of my reel where she was like, I had all these interviews today, but the one with Serena was my best and my favorite. And we ended up seeing each other like 10 more times over the year that I was at Nike. And wow. she'd be like, Serena, what's going on? And people were like, Who the hell How do you know girl? her? Yeah, like what? <laughs> So, I mean, I felt really, I learned to, to trust my gut when it came to like working at Nike. And then I think, yeah, like at National Geographic, it was more like you can figure anything out and you can master something in journalism. Because as journalists, right, we're curious. We want to learn. We want to share information. We want to make things interesting. Absolutely. Who is our audience? And so I was like very in tune with who is the audience? Like these are not necessarily big sports fans, but they could be. Um, and just like learning about random animals was fascinating and how to like kind of market and learning like the keys to like marketing things. Because now that I'm in sports journalism, you know, marketing is our, our still our bloodline. Sure. And so we have to be aware of that and how to be ethically correct, but also, you know, being able to sell our stories too. So because we want people to learn and, and feel about them. Right. So I think that was a really good lesson. And then just obviously at SportsCenter, learning from the best in the game, um, you know, kind of figuring out how to best tell the story, being simple, which I'm still working on to this day because I will talk a wall off of its ledge. <laughs> and um, as you can tell, so that's I a think, good thing. I, I think, um, you know, I just every single level has been learning. And then now at the Rams, you know, I never thought I'd be covering football. Like some of my friends are like, aren't you a ba baseball player? Like, don't you cover the NBA? And now my friends who covered the NBA are like, yeah, Serena, she's an amazing football reporter. And I'm like, this is amazing because I never covered football in my life until now. So well, well, just you, figure things out. Yeah, you can adapt. And we're speaking with Serena yeah. Morales, LA Rams team reporter and host of the Rambling Podcast. And going back to your time at ESPN AM, isn't that where you learned that you were dyslexic? Yeah. Yeah, I'm dyslexic. That must have been fun with a teleprompter. Sucks. Oh, my God. So props <laughs> to Mark Schlereth, who actually told me. Stink. Um, yes, stink. So he was on SportsCenter one day and started, like, basically describing dyslexia because he was talking about his playing days and, and how coaches should be able to adapt to players because a lot of players have, you know, different learning um, specialties and things like that. Sure. And he was describing that he was dyslexic. And I'm sitting like at the desk while like Jay Harris or Kevin is talking to him. And I'm like, huh, that happens to me. Mm, all the light time. bulb goes off. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, this makes sense. Why well, I can't read teleprompter. I used to memorize my hits before going on SportsCenter, wow. before teleprompter, and I would just memorize it. So even if I lost words, like if you wrote, Giannis Antetokounmpo's name in teleprompter. I would. <laughs> I don't think anybody can get crying. that one right anyway. <laughs> right, but I would be like, I have no idea what you just wrote. But if so, I would take his name out. I would just write Giannis, and then sometimes my producers who didn't know anything would start to like put his name back in. I'm like, don't put it in. It's okay. Like I'll just know. I'll know. But I started figuring out tricks. Um, shout out to Jason Starrett, who was the researcher, one of the researchers on that morning show, and when he would give me um, like shot sheets or like stats or things like I'd be like, can I rewrite this? And is this still correct? Because you know, if you rewrite stats, they change the meaning. And sure. I'm like, can you help me? Because I'm dyslexic and I'm learning this while I'm on national television. So can you please help me out? 
And so that just became a learning thing, but I never told anyone until I left because I was like, I don't want anyone to make it as an excuse. Like, well, we can't give her this to read because she's dyslexic and can't. Sure. So I just learned to read teleprompter, a lot of capital letters, a lot of uh, spacing. And then just use Greek of... freak all the time. Giannis, the, the... <laughs> totally fine. It. That is okay. As long as they have a nickname, so it's even better. To, to figure out how to say his name just so people knew I wasn't stupid. But I grew up my entire life feeling like an idiot. Like, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, my sister was a spelling bee champion. And I'm over here like, I can't spell, you know, snacks and snakes. Like, they look the same to me. Like, I can't tell the difference. Wow. But you recovered well and you're with the Rams now. Well, actually, how is it going from the Northeast to L.A.? Oh, man. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> culture I'm, shock. I'm culture shock um i'm i'm freezing all the time um all of the offensive linemen on the rams um definitely point fingers at me to be like why are you so cold like i thought you're a new yorker i don't know what's wrong with you you're so soft like rob havenstein <laughs> shout out to him our right tackle literally last week i was outside and i stand pretty far away from the team but when i'm at practice and he i'm freezing like i clearly my shoulders are hunched over and he's like Seriously, Morales? And I'm like, it's cold. You have like 300 more pounds than I do. Like, get out of here. Yeah, he's got built-in insulation. Yeah. So, I mean, I miss the subway, but I'm learning to adapt to like podcasts, driving life, filling up my car with gas. Wa watching TV. football at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, at least my sleep like schedule is amazing. Like where I'd be up to like 2 o'clock in the morning in New York, and now I'm like, yeah, no, I could go to bed at like 1030. This is amazing. I love it. <laughs> All right. We're speaking with Serena Morales, L.A. Rams team reporter and host of the Rambling podcast. And let's get into some legendary college football players that are now on the Rams. First off, one of my favorites, rookie running back Cam Akers from Florida State. He broke Dalvin Cook's rushing record as a freshman, and I thought he was a steal in the second round at pick 54. He had over 600 yards on the ground and two scores this regular season with the Rams. How did he and the other backs adjust to filling a huge shoes of Todd Gurley? You know, you got to give credit to um, running backs coach Thomas Brown, who came in this offseason. And, and by the way, ruptured his Achilles randomly at practice one day doing drills and is now almost like, walk, like he walks like no big deal. Like uh, he's just like, oh, hey, what's how... up? Yeah. Pops wheelies with his little like assistant, like uh, <laughs> assistant you know, cart. one, like, yeah, I'm like, what? Um, gotta give him credit. And Sean McVay loves Thomas Brown a lot for good reason. Because again, right. You have Todd Gurley leading the way and running back. Um, but when he, when you lose a guy like that, it's sort of like, okay, who's the next man up. And I will also give credit to Malcolm Brown and his leadership because he's played behind Todd Gurley all his years. And he's like, okay, how do I work? Like, instead of being like, yeah, I'm the new guy. He's like, let me help out my teammates. We can all eat, you know? And sure. so it's like going to Slizzler. Like, everyone take a little bit. <laughs> and so um, you were kind of waiting to see Cam Akers get out there. Obviously, uh, Daryl Henderson, who Sean McVay drafted just la the, the season before out sure. of Memphis, you know, he was due. Like, he was hungry. And so you had him come in and do his thing. Malcolm Brown, you know, they really do utilize him in the red zone because he's smart and he's going to figure out how to get that final, you know, those six points. And then when it comes to Cam Akers, you know, I think his mentality was like, I'm going to be patient. I'm the young one here. If I need to play special teams, if I need to, you know, fill in, I'm going to do what I can. Whatever you And need. I think give, exactly. And that's the attitude you want from a rookie. Like, you don't need to come in here like, yo, no man, divas. I'm the top. None of it. And he's so humble. 
and it's great to have him, and it's great to see the success he has, but I'm not even surprised at all. And also in that 2020 draft class, uh, wide receiver Van Jefferson from Florida and safety Jordan Fuller from the Ohio State Universities. What do you see as the biggest hurdle for these rookies coming from college to the pros? <laughs> I don't I don't think they've shown that they've had any hurdles. I'm like, <laughs> we got this. We're good. I mean, Van Jefferson early on, you could tell, had these like sparks of a mix between Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, which is so scary. Like Cooper Cup once said, the thing about Van that's impressive is he's not asking, you know, college level 101 questions. He's asking like 300 level questions, which is just that's who Van is, right? His, he understood his the X's and O's. Exactly. His father's a coach. Um, he comes in. He's quiet. Again, very humble, much like Cam Akers. And so I think for him, the hurdle will be, you know, we, we you just got to be patient. But I think for him, he's, you know, obviously showing that. And, you know, waiting his time to get on the field. And, you know, he's doing a great job so far at stepping in. And I know Sean McVay wants to get him even more snaps, um, you know, hopefully as the Rams, you know, continue on into the playoffs. And then for Jordan Fuller, I mean, what an impressive guy to come in. You know, I mean, obviously, I think, and, and you knew, you know this too, the Ohio State's football team had uh, an amazing defense. Like Unreal. their secondary was so good. So it's crazy that this kid goes in the sixth, round and comes in and sparks like yeah now he's a starter exactly absolutely and so i think he's just really done a great job at like learning being humble figuring it out taylor rapp is a great safety and 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 john johnson out of boston college who's now the defensive signal caller and wearing a c on his chest i mean he's just done a great job and he has sort of like a young sort of mentality too so he kind of i think is a perfect mentor for a guy like jordan fuller kind of coming in where JJ can go, yo, kid, here's what you're going to do. I was like you. I used to be even crazier than you were. And so just kind of, I'm going to take you under my wing and be smart. You've got Jalen Ramsey helping you out, too. You've got really smart guys. So I think Jordan Fuller is in the perfect position to really grow into himself as he progresses as a safety in the NFL. Yeah, well, it sounds like the other players are definitely helping out and mentoring the younger players. All right, we're going to get into the athletic big men, team leaders on and off the field, and the young coach who oversees it all right after this. Hey, guys, it's a new year, and every day is a fresh start for you to just live. Travis Pastrana here to tell you exactly why I teamed up with Clay Thompson, Alex Morgan, and Paul Rodriguez to launch our new wellness brand, Just Live. As professional athletes, we put ourselves through a lot, physically and mentally. So we found a Just Live around all-natural, THC-free CBD products. Being from the East Coast, I was pretty skeptical about CBD products, but as an athlete, it's easy to see when something works. And when my dad was at wit's end, living in a fog of painkillers, severe lack of sleep, numerous surgeries later, I recommended he try CBD. It allowed him to get an extra couple hours of sleep, and it made all the difference to get my dad back on his feet. So don't go another day with pain inflammation, or lack of sleep. I recommend trying Just Live today. These are products we fully trust and stand behind because we want you to be able to go out and just live. So get 20% off your order with code armchair at justlive.com. That's 20% off at justlive.com with the code armchair. What do you live for? And we have on the show Serena Morales, LA Rams team reporter and host of the Ramblin' Podcast. And I got to work with uh, Jonathan Ogden one time, and it blew my mind just how he dwarfed the average human being. If people have never been up close and personal to these players, it's shocking how massive they are. Like Rams, Joseph Noteboom, the oh, six yeah. foot five, 325 pound offensive tackle from TCU, Sebastian Joseph Day, the six four nose tackle from Rutgers. 
Tell me what it's like to see these nimble big men and others move in practice in the games. It's it's got to be shocking. It as someone who's five five on a good day, <laughs> I um really do sometimes just like stand in awe. I call Andrew Whitworth uh left tackle out of LSU. I literally call him like a redwood forest tree because he stands so tall, but he's so like built structurally to never fall down. Obviously he's coming back from an injury and he looks amazing. And I just think, yeah, some of these guys are so massive. And then you give credit to a guy like Aaron Donald, who is so fast that sometimes I look at his legs and I'm like, did you fast forward that? Like I was looking at that with my eyes. Like I need HD for my eyeballs. Like I track think star like, speed burn. with uh, the, yes. the mountain of a man. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, and I, I think to, to credit uh, Aaron Donald, he's really set a tone with, I don't care if you're a big man, you better work as hard as I am. And that's what you've seen, as you, you said, you know, Sebastian Joseph, dad of Rucker, it's like, that dude is chiseled. Like I, I saw him over um, the off season and I was like, bro, you've got a jawline going on for a nose tackle. <laughs> I'm impressed. I am impressed by your, your, uh, you're getting there and they do boxing. They do a lot of cross training. So yeah, these guys are really impressive, but I think credit to the leadership, which is Andrew Whitworth and, you know, Aaron Donald. Well, speaking of Aaron Donald from Pitt and Jared Goff from Cal, how is their demeanor from what we see on the gridiron and their personality off the field? It's insane. I mean, Jared is as calm as you can possibly get, and he's more of the stable, like, which is great. Cool customer from Cal. 100%. He's never going to really be, like, flustered, which is what you want, right? If you've got to, like, be the guy making all the calls and and doing your thing on offense when, you know, things are down. Like, you want him to be more Mariano Rivera than anything else. But as far as, like, Aaron Donald, he is the nicest human being you could ever meet. And it is insane because he's As long as you're not an offensive lineman on the opposing team. 100%. I don't even think, like, you know, back when we were in locker rooms, like, those good old days, um, you know, I remember watching Aaron Donald, like give bear hugs or like play fight with some of the guys like Brockers or, you know, Sebastian, Joseph Day. And they literally <laughs> would be like, oh, like you kind of were like, Iggy, I think you're a little too hard. You're cutting off like, circulation. <laughs> right? And he's like, ha, ha, ha. you know, like if you're playing with a dog who's like just as big as you, you're like, oh, wait, that was too much. And so, you know, you got to give, I mean, he's just a really kind person. He's doing a ton with 99 um, Solutions and his his foundation. Really, really great guy. I love working with him. I love that I am um, part of the Rams and getting to, like, cover um, one of the best players in the NFL. Oh, that's amazing. I love to hear those stories. And we have on the show Serena Morales, L.A. Rams team reporter and host of the Ramblin' Podcast. And tell me about Sean McVay, who in 2017 became the youngest head coach in NFL history. How does someone that young command such respect? He is a player's coach. I mean, sometimes I, I watch him and I'm like, what am I doing myself? We're the same age. And, and I just can't <laughs> get over that. But on the real, I mean, when you think about, you know, his grandfather and I think he's sort of been grandfathered into the NFL and always why it wasn't like, yes, he had the access to, you know, the NFL lineage, but he wanted to learn. Like he was there sort of like the Shula family as well. Right. Sure. Like, yep. um, I think it was the same. And, and Chris Shula, 
linebackers coach uh, is friends with Sean McVay for that reason. They both sort of grew up around football and that was their life. And I think, you know, he speaks well and he listens. I, you know, when people talk about his genius of like being a photographic memory and all of that, I think that comes from, you know, it's literally like a hyper focus. Like, you know, when you're, I'll keep going back to these baseball analogies, but when you're in the, in the batter's box and you have to focus and you're just looking for that pitch and you're waiting for it. I mean, for some reason and somehow your eye can catch a 90 mile per hour baseball and you can make contact with it if you focus, right? Exactly. But if you're looking around, you're not, you're going to, you're going to wolf, that right? That thing's going so, right past you. And I think, and that's kind of what Sean does all the time is he is constantly, whether he is in press conferences, whether he is on the field, whether he is watching film, he is constantly waiting for that 90 mile per hour baseball. And he's just so hyper-focused. I mean, there are times even on zoom calls where like I've sneezed cause my allergies are insane <laughs> and I'm on the zoom call and I'm my, my computer's on mute and he's gone. Bless you, Serena. In the middle of like talking to a, you know, answering it. He caught it out of the corner of his eye. Absolutely. And I'm like laughing and he's like, yeah, I saw you sneeze there. Sorry. And then he goes and finishes his sentence. And you know, he, he obviously, and you know, this like reporters appreciate a, a coach that can call you by your name. Like, Yes, Gary, da-da-da, and, sure. you know, he has all the background jokes because, you know, he he's fully in when it comes to whatever he's doing. And so I think that's kind of when you're like, how does this guy remember it? Yeah, if you're putting e- extreme focus on everything you do, you'll probably get there, too. Wow. Sounds like an amazing coach, an amazing man. And take yeah. me inside the NFL locker room. Who brags the most about their former college team? Is it like Ohio <laughs> State? They're going crazy, talking smack. Man, well, <laughs> that's really funny. I, I um, obviously fight uh, Micah Kaiser and all, all those in the a- a- ACC. Um, he went to Virginia. Okay. But, um, you know, UCLA, like Kenny Young is certainly proud. I think um, I've had, we used to do this thing called College Pick'em, where every week we, if, if like one guy went to Cal and the other, you know, Robert Woods went to uh, USC, I'd be like, all right, who's winning this game? Yeah, the, and, um, the I remember, of the yeah, and so Jared and I had Jared and, and Woods go against each other, and Woods was like, oh, well, they're having Jared golf bobblehead day. They're going to lose in that one. So, <laughs> I mean, they all, <laughs> they all sort of had their own, like, crazy pride. Um, obviously, Jordan Fuller is losing it, uh, especially after the win over Clemson. So, yeah, I, I think some of the rookies are still holding onto their college days. Like, oh man, this is great. Um, oh, I, I'm bet. sure Tremaine Ankrum, who's on the O line from Clemson, is is just staying quiet these days. Uh, when it <laughs> yeah, comes exactly. To being around. <laughs> they shut up real quick with a loss. That's yeah. Sure. Who's the biggest <laughs> practical joker on the team? Who's the one who goofs around the most? You know, it could either be Sebastian Joseph Day um, out of Rutgers. John Johnson definitely used to be. Um, I'd say Whitworth also jokes around a lot. John Johnson will, will definitely like have his fun. Um, and then someone just like, yeah, I want to say because on your Instagram and everything, I see them, you know, you got, it, it seems like such a great family and everybody's goofing around. They are. And, and then that was, it, it extends to like the team dietitian, like Joey Blake and like some of like. Uh, like Reggie Scott, who's overseeing all of our, you know, COVID protocols, but also like the head of um, like physical therapy, like all of those guys joke and kind of add to the feel. Um, 
So, I mean, even Sean jokes around, you know, like he knows his time and place. So I'd say it's a mix of those guys, but John Johnson, Whitworth, and, uh, and Sebastian Joseph Day are certainly, you know, top tier when it comes to like, I can make this joke. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you were, you worked on practical Joker, so you can right. bl- blend right, right in. <laughs> oh, they know. <laughs> and we're speaking with Serena Morales, LA Rams team reporter and host of the rambling podcast. What was the biggest surprise you encountered being with an NFL team? Biggest thing, you know, I think just since I've I've gotten to the NFL, um, just you know, it really you just kind of said it like being around a family and having these guys be invested and in, you know, if you know if you are kind of being serious or maybe not joking as much, you're like, yo, what's up, bro? You good? You know, checking in Looking on each out. other, yep. make things, yeah, for sure. And you know, even Jalen Ramsey, like he loves these like starburst gummies that like we have both discovered that we're obsessed with. And so just like, you know, sharing starburst gummies in the past with like Jalen Ramsey or things like that. I, I do nice. appreciate and And these guys really are family oriented first. Like, and, and I think that's, again, going back to your question on Sean McVay and why he gets so much respect. That's what he cares about, right? Because football is just a big old family at the end of the day. And you end up being connected with way more people than you even realize because then you go back to the alum. Like, I just interviewed Steven Jackson on my I know, I saw that on Rambling. Yeah. And I was just trying to, like, I was like, I don't want a reporter to talk about, like, the matchup or anything. I just want to hear from an alum who played for the Rams to kind of just give perspective of, like, how do these guys get back into it, which they did. But sometimes you kind of need to hear it from the guy who went through it himself. Sure. But Steven Jackson is a great, you know, person to be connected with. And now I'm connected with him because of the Rams family. So I would say that and just the fan base, like, you know, so I think the fans, like, there's um this group called the Melonheads that <laughs> cheers for the Rams. Yeah, and, we, you know, have, I have no connection to, like, why the melon and the ram and the whole thing like who knows but they are a huge rams fan uh base and they stand outside when we're pulling into sofi stadium for home games and we'll cheer for guys and they cheer for me they're like serena so you know even though i'm not taking the fields and putting on pads you know i do feel like i'm part of of a bigger family exactly it's not just the players and speaking of perspective How is it being a Latino woman in sports and who did you look up to in the broadcast world? Yeah. So being a Latino in sports is funny. Puerto Rican and Colombian. Yes. Puerto Rican and Colombian. I'm like JLo and Shakira. I don't look like (laughs) either of them. Um, But it's, it's funny because especially in football, like there are no Latinos really in football, which is sad. And I hope that gets more, we, we get more of us in there, but so like I stand out like a sore thumb with my accent because I get very comfortable like talking to these guys, you know, on an everyday basis. And so sometimes I, I'll be like, Mira, can you come over here? I need to talk to you for a second. And they're like, Mira, 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 Mira. And so like now my name is Mira. It's not Serena. It's just Mira, which means look like, hey, what's up? Like trying to get your attention. It's like saying yo in Spanish. So yes. um, that's my nickname a lot of times. Um, you know, they just like find my accent to be hilarious in many just randomly. I'm like, yo, I need to talk to you. And they're like, okay, let me tell you something. So I'm like, oh, so I think that being in the NFL has been such a eye opener because, you know, in baseball, you're not going to have that same reaction because there's a lot of Latinos in baseball. So I think that's been funny. And then just overall being, um, you know, I, I am really proud. Like my dad almost brought me to tears because he's like, 
Yo, dude, like, I never thought you'd be as successful as no. you are, you know? Like, I, and again, I was like, bro, I didn't either. I, I just wanted that one bedroom <laughs> apartment, you know? I'm faking and it until he, I'm making it. <laughs> right. I'm dyslexic, man. Like, no one told me. So I just think, you know, being one of, you know, the few Latinos and then more, you know, micro uh, being one of the few people from the Bronx who, I mean, it's not an easy place to, to really get out of and and it's and and not that i even got out of it like i'm still there like my heart is there i still rep you know d with clinton high school mount st ursula high school i jumped around a ton and i love the bronx i love everything about it. i love the people i'm so proud that i'm from there it really creates um again it goes back to being your family your neighbors are your family and so sure. it is crazy that i got to be this place because I want other people from the Bronx and other Latinos to go, yo, if you just want to be Bernie Williams and play Yankee for the Yankees, you can do it. Or maybe make it to like covering the Yankees instead. Exactly. You know, like I think they don't have perspective. Yeah. And so I'm hoping I can just kind of like give a little extra, you know, juice and a little extra perspective of like, yo, I, I really didn't come from this world and I had no family members connected at all. Like I wasn't Sean McVay in the broadcast world. But I'm figuring it out, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of your Puerto Rican and Colombian descent, I saw on Twitter your response, huepa. And for those who don't <laughs> know, I have, a, <laughs> I have a couple of Puerto Rican friends. So I know that and chanclas are the two things I probably use the most. <laughs> but uh, for everybody who doesn't know, what does huepa mean? <laughs> Wepa's like, hey! Yeah, hey, my like, homie! <laughs> right, like huepa. And, and it's so funny. And shout out to Beto Duran, who's um, a reporter out here in L.A., and you know because we just try and like extend the family we want people to be aware that it's it's hard being singled out and also the thing that drives me crazy is like you know people are like oh you're you're latino oh so you speak spanish or you want to listen to mark anthony and also all the time. <laughs> i'm like no well, you I want to listen to mark <laughs> like i i want i want pizza and french fries <laughs> yeah. and, you know i want all that other stuff too like, oh don't stereotype me. <laughs> yeah, don't be doing that. One of my good friends um, who I played baseball with back in the day in high school, Jonathan Candelier, he listens to country music more than anything else, and he's a Dominican from the Bronx, but he went and played baseball in New Mexico. So, like, he, so that's, you know, that's what's going to be on the radio. <laughs> Correct. And so, and that brings him to, like, his time playing baseball. And so, yeah, like, I it drives us crazy when we're like, Oh, so you speak Spanish only? And I'm like, no, stop making me speak Spanish. If Mike Tirico and Bob Costas can freaking speak English on NBC, don't put me on Univision and Telemundo. Exactly. I can do the English thing too, guys. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic. And we're speaking with <laughs> Serena Morales, LA Rams team reporter and host of the Rambling Podcast. All right. It's time to go. Y'all ready for this? Three and out. Time to go three and out with Serena Morales. Some lighter questions to close out the interview. All right, first off, we're going to go into the hurry-up offense for a little rapid-fire question, so just give me a short answer for each. First off, can you still hit an 80-mile-an-hour fastball? Heck yeah, give me 85, bro. Oh, <laughs> not take her to the cages. All right, and you I know you've done some in-stadium interviews. How fun is it having feedback come back at you on the field? Talk about dyslexic. Nobody <laughs> like, tells you like, about that. No one tells. It's like counting, like when you're taking down a phone number and someone goes two, nine, eight, four, three. <laughs> like that's 
That's how hard it is. It's insane. And I'm glad you're aware of that. Uh, oh, yeah. I was in the Georgia Dome one time and I'm like, wait a minute. What is going on right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing myself talk in the future. Yes. And I'm on a Jumbotron and this is scary. Yes. All yes. right. Who do you still keep in touch with from uh, some of your prior gigs? Oh, my God. Uh, Jamie Sire, I text with at least once a week. Randy Scott, who's still on SportsCenter. Oh, yeah. I had a two-hour phone call with him maybe less than a couple weeks ago. Jay Harris, I texted him a funny meme. I still make fun of him and the fact that he takes iPad selfies. <laughs> um, so I, I do keep in touch with a lot of those guys. I mean, Hassan um, is one of my best friends. So, yeah, I, I keep in touch with a lot of the ESPN folks still to this day. Nice. Do you have a secret ritual when you prepare for a broadcast? Ooh, okay. Um, yes. The, the thing to do, I think for me more, everyone always says this and it's really obnoxious because I, I'm over-preparer. So I like to like print out all you my notes. You have to and, like, do it. You have to I be over prepared. Absolutely. So I do all of that. But then <laughs> every feedback that I've gotten from my boss is like, you know, you're great when you're not prepared. And I'm like, please don't <laughs> tell me that. <laughs> like when you just go off the I know exactly. Like, yep. Yep. I, they go, I, you, you know, when you're not scripted, but it's like, I have all these stats in front of me and information. <laughs> yes. But then they're like, you're just like, oh, you know why Cam Akers is good? Because he likes, you know, gummies, you know, like gummy bears. Like, I'm like, what? I just know that from an Instagram message or something. So, um, so yeah, I think uh, my ritual is to over-prepare and then shut my brain down. And, like, I do the Superman pose. Like, for women who are kind of nervous, especially going into, like, being on camera for the first time, if you put your hands on your hips and you stand there, and calm down or put your hands up above your head, it deepens your voice. Like I used to be called chipmunk as a kid. So like my voice was super high pitched. And if I do that sometimes, if I'm like, oh crap, I have to like really focus and too many people are bothering me. I kind of refocus my energy and it helps deepen your voice and it helps slow everything down. So, a little, a little so, meditation there. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And second, you had some gigs overseas. Like you said, London if you could go back to any one of those destinations, would it be London, Bali, or Singapore? Oh, man. Yeah, I'd like to go back to Bali so I can enjoy it since I got dengue fever over there and I was <laughs> in the emergency room for like a week um, instead of, like, I'd actually like to see the sights. You had a so fever in I Indonesia. <laughs> I I had de dengue fever, which oh is gosh. like deadly. I guess 10% uh, of the people who get it die. Actually, shout out to Amino Hassan, um, NBA insider. Um, he basically was the one that saved my life because he stayed on a FaceTime call with me while wow. I was on my way to the emergency room. <laughs> and I was like, Amin, is my ESPN insurance still working myself? <laughs> is someone going to fly me to Bronx General? <laughs> yeah, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> Um, yeah, he basically stayed on the phone with me knowing that maybe I'd croak while I was FaceTiming oh with goodness. him. I brought him back a t-shirt, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I got a Gengue fever in Indonesia, and all I got is this lousy t-shirt. T-shirt, Well, yes. hopefully when you go back, it'll be better off. And finally, I'm a foodie. You're from the Bronx and live in L.A. Now, what's a legendary meal or place to eat in both? Oh, Okay, I'm craving pasteles these days. Um, I just found a food truck out here that sells pasteles, which is basically like the Puerto Rican tamale. Oh, that okay. being said, um, in the Bronx, I will say... When you fly back to the um, Bronx, where you, what's the first place you're hitting? Probably this Latino restaurant called Malecon's. 
um, underneath the one train on Broadway. It's like right on the cusp of Inwood and the Bronx. Malecon is like like the best Latino food, like a mix of like Puerto Rican, Dominican. They make like mofongo. Oh, it's so, so good. Oh. I love that place so much. So yeah, I would say that is my spot in New York City. And, um, and in LA, I love taco trucks. Like, give me any taco truck. <laughs> <laughs> any Pull over. They're I see amazing. another one. <laughs> I swear, like, randomly, um, you know, my friends would be like, yo, you hungry? I'm like, yeah, bring me a, a taco truck, you know, taco. <laughs> and they're like, really? And I'm like, they're all good. Like, that, sh- that sucker is fresh. Like, those things are amazing, and they're like a dollar. So, um, <laughs> exactly. You can't holler for a dollar. Big fan. <laughs> oh, man. Well, two places I definitely got to hit. I'm going to be heading to the Bronx right after this. And we've been speaking with Serena Morales, L.A. Rams team reporter and host of the Rambling Podcast. Check out our great social media content on Twitter, at Serena, and on Instagram, at Morales Morales, all one word. Thanks for joining me so much, Serena. appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Believe in College Football Legends podcast. Make sure to check out all the prior episodes with Heisman winners, legendary coaches, and sports personalities reliving the greatest plays. You can tweet your questions at the Sports Jesus and join us next week because it will be legendary. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.